Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, this is the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm Raya, I'm here with Chris. Unfortunately, Lucas could not be with us tonight. And unfortunately, as you saw, the Sixers were eliminated in Game 7. And a horrific end to a season that was full of anticipation, full of hopes, I tell you what, Chris, I, I'm speechless. I, I, I don't even know where to start. Do you? Uh, nah, not really, man. It sucks. It's such a lame. Such, I mean, it's terrible. It's it's really inexplicable, unacceptable. Just it's it's ridiculous. There's no excuse for us to be in this situation. Um, there's a lot of blame to go around, and I'm sure we're gonna, gonna hand out a good bit of it on this podcast. But just a really, really disappointing end to what was really a fun season up up until this series. So, Chris, did you did you feel as though that the Sixers were gonna win this game? Did you have a good feeling, or or were you, are you are you not surprised that? We're not at all. Out? No, I had a terrible feeling. I I, I did not feel at all good at all going into the game. I know a lot of people did. Like, I was on the site Twitter account. People mm-hmm. were like, oh, I feel a double-digit win coming, you know. Oh, yeah. this is going to be – just go swimmingly. And it's like, oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> the Hawks right. have already come back from down 20 in Philly. They had won two out of the three games in Philly up to this point. Um, they've proven that they can hang. Like, clearly Atlanta's a very good team. Um, so I, I didn't feel good. I mean, the Sixers just haven't earned any trust this series. So I, I was pretty down on them. I would argue that Atlanta is not a very good team and that they are just a good team and that the Sixers lost this series. I don't think Atlanta won this series. I think the Sixers lost this series. 
I was in the Wells Fargo Center for Game Five, Chris, and the depression. I was in this this mode of misery for about almost forty eight hours. I mean, I, and I spoke to several people who are big Sixers fans, and they all responded the same. They said they had a hard hard time sleeping. We lost that twenty six point lead. The building when I was in that building, Chris, and you know we're going back two games. It was the the air just was sucked out of the building. People were throwing stuff on the court just like they threw tonight. Uh, one guy uh, in the upper section was kicking the the chair, and and the security had to come get him. There was so much anger in that building in Game Five, and and we lucked out and we walked out of Atlanta with with a Game Six victory. But tonight, I can't even imagine how people feel leaving that stadium right now. It's it's really depressing. Yeah, I mean, in, like even from the TV, you could tell that the fans had a really hard time getting into the game just because the Sixers kept shooting themselves in the foot time after time. Every time they mounted any semblance of momentum, they would turn around and either throw the ball away or just take a bad shot. It, it was really just brutal to watch. Um, Atlanta just out executed them, out-hustled them, and has, has had far more resilience and, and fight to them this series than Philly did. And we're, we're in for a long offseason. Um, it's only like a three-month offseason. It's frankly ridiculous that we're playing again in October, but it's going to be a super long three months for, for Philly fans. Yeah, it's the whole you have to laugh to keep from crying. I anticipated MB turning it over. And but I didn't expect the pick six. I mean, he turned it over and then they scored on a on a dunk. And at that point, I just was hysterically laughing. And I think when you joined for the podcast, you were laughing and we're all laughing because otherwise we're going to be throwing our TVs and throwing our computers out the window because it is just such an atrocious end to a season and, and and listen, if you're listening out there and you're angry, you have every right to be. Think of all the hours that we've put in as fans. Think about all the money that you've spent on paraphernalia, all the money you've spent tickets to the actual games. This offseason is going to be a big blow up, in my opinion. We'll get into that a little bit later. No, I mean, it's, it's again, you said earlier that you think the Sixers lost this series and the Hawks didn't necessarily win it. I, I pretty much agree. You said that the Hawks were only a good team. I, I think it's pretty clear that Philly was probably only a good team too. I don't think the Sixers were quite as good as we thought they were going in. And while they should have won this series, they had every chance to. Um, they should have won game one, but just inexplicable things happened as far as the game plan goes. They're up 2-1. They blow 2 20-point leads in a row. The Sixers were clearly the better team on paper and in practice, but they just crumbled under the pressure. A lot of that's going to get pinned on Ben, and rightfully so. We're going to talk a lot about Ben on this podcast, I'm sure. But Embiid had eight turnovers apiece in Game 6 and Game 7. Tobias, not exactly a strong finish for him. So there's a lot that we have to, like, talk about and look over and reflect on because a lot of the same problems that were there last season were there this season some of them were amplified even more uh but yeah it, it's really just a pitiful way to go out frankly in this game in particular you look at the first half and they it was a 
tight game pretty much throughout. In the first half, Seth Curry got into some foul trouble. Embiid didn't look... I mean, he looked okay in the first half. Harris seemed as though he was trying to put up numbers. The biggest disappointment, obviously the bench, Dwight Howard was completely ineffective. I I don't understand how bad you can play. And then if you're not playing bad, don't hurt the team by making stupid plays like that flagrant foul that he he was called for. Maxi was brought back down to earth as a rookie, and it's sad that we had to put our hopes in a rookie. And George Hill, Chris, we gave up what for him? (laughs) <laughs> he's supposed to be yeah. a veteran steadying force on offense. I I, I don't understand. I mean, wh- what did you take away from, from this game? Um, well, all the same things. I, I think like George Hill was clearly just not working at all this series. And he was still like second or third best player off the bench. I mean, I think that's where we're at at this point. Um, you know, Thibault had probably his best game of the series in terms of just impacting the game and really turning m- momentum at different points. Um, that foul at the end mm. was a pretty brutal way to, to go out for him because he played such a good game up to that point and it was really a big part of their, their game plan in that fourth quarter. But the bench was atrocious. I think we, even on this podcast, we super overhyped the bench before the postseason. We were talking about how deep they were. Maybe Doc could get away with going 10, 11 deep in certain No, the, the bench was bad. Doc, Doc made some unacceptable rotation choices. Just last series, we had been starting games at center. So how we feel like we have to play Dwight in game seven is frankly a mystery to me. There's really no excuse for it. He's been bad all series, all postseason, a lot of the regular season too, frankly. I don't think he did anything unexpected. I, I think we all kind of knew he probably wasn't going to hack it in the playoffs, but Doc still went to him for like 15 minutes a night, which is, is not great. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tobias and Ben obviously have to be better. Um, they need another guy to kind of share the playmaking and scoring burden with Joel down the stretch. Because, um, I mean, turnovers are have always been an issue for Joel. Um, but a lot of it could be alleviated if they just had like another guy who could consistently get his own shot and set up the offense in the fourth quarter. Whether that's someone they trade for with Ben Simmons this offseason, we'll see. Um, but, you know, James Harden would have been nice. Chris Paul would have oh, been nice. Oh. Kyle Lowry would have been nice. None of that's worked out so far, so we gotta got to see what happens. Speaking of Ben Simmons, we've been saying it it's a broken record the horse has been dead i I hate i hated bringing him up on the podcast because people just know how i feel about simmons and it's not those that you know doubted ben because i know he had a lot of supporters but at this point i think even his supporters are exasperated and there's such there's such a there's such a obvious problem with him he played chris 36 minutes tonight guess how many shots he took like three he took four shots yeah he took four field goals he's making almost 30 million a year but he took four shots now and don't let the 13 assists fool you because he has no other options 
to pass. That's the only thing that he does. He passes. And there was a pass, and I hope you bring this quote up um, after I'm done making this point, but there was um, an instance where he was under the basket and he could have scored, but he kicked it out. I think he, he passed it to uh, Thibel. But Simmons is a major problem. I'm not surprised that he shrunk as this series progressed from game one all the way up to game seven. Maury has a problem on his hands. How does he appease Embiid? Because it's the, the you know, the fork in the road. It it was probably game five. It was really then. And Simmons has to go. It, it, I wrote the article last summer and people blasted me for it because people who know basketball know basketball. And if you don't have confidence in yourself to perform at the highest level amongst your peers who mock you, who make fun of you, you can forget about it. it good luck, Maury, getting something in return for Simmons. But yeah, Simmons is, is, is he is who we thought he was. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I've been a pretty staunch supporter of Ben on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree. He, he has to go at this point. There's really, I don't think, any way they can justify bringing him back. I'll, I'll go to that quote you mentioned, Mead, after the game, Sid. I'll be honest, I thought the turning point was when we, I don't know how to say it, is when we had an open shot and we made one free throw. He's obviously referring to that moment in the fourth quarter where everyone watching kind of tried to shook their heads in disbelief where Ben had pretty much an unguarded dunk at the rim. I mean, just right there in front of him and he passed it up <laughs> to a cutting Matisse Heibel. Um I, I honestly feel bad for Ben. I, I He's clearly a better player than this. He hasn't been this bad in the past or in past postseasons even. Clearly just something got to him in, in his head this series. He, he crumbled. Um, he said after the game that the first thing he's going to do is clear his head and get his mental right, and I, I believe him. I, I think that's what he needs to do. I don't think that's like I'm not going to go work on anything or, or anything like that. I think he's being genuine. Like he, he needs to clear his head. I think the hack of Ben and the free throw stuff really got to him. He was obviously playing scared, didn't really want to touch the ball in the fourth quarter. Um, just like as a human being, I, I, I truly like, I feel bad and, and hope he can get his stuff together. But the Sixers got to change something at this point. It's been four or five years of this. Um, still haven't gotten past the second round. That's especially with that Embiid quote. That wasn't the full quote. It it, it doesn't sound quite as much in in its full context as like a, a direct shot at Ben. But I just don't think this can go on another year. Um, <laughs> Like, Ben is I, – I do truly believe that Ben is a good basketball player, and he can help a team win at, at a very high level. Um, I, I don't think you can just trade him for nothing, but the, the, they got to look at it this offseason. they got to try to make something happen. Go look at C.J. McCollum. Go look at, you know, some other guards around the league that are maybe – reaching the end of their line. I think Zach Levine, frankly, might be a bit of a, a pipe dream at this point with how this postseason went. Yeah. But, you know, they got to go look at, at what they can get um, and, and probably just try to make something happen. Here's some irony for you, Chris. On Twitter today, I think it started yesterday, someone started posting footage of Simmons playing in the summer league during his rookie season. And in that footage, he was hitting pull-up jumpers, he was hitting mid-range jumpers. He was driving. He didn't make a three, but he was 
close to the three-point line. He just pulled up. I think he made maybe five jumpers in that footage that we saw, and he was confident. He was decisive. Somewhere along his journey, his rookie year, he lost all faith in his shot. I agree with you. He has the ability. He has the tools. He has the talent. But in terms of his confidence, somewhere along the way, he lost it. Now, that being said, you said you feel sorry for him. I do not. I don't. Because he's the same player that he was his rookie year. Even Embiid, you look at Maxi, you look at Thibault. These are guys that that you can see growth. Simmons has no growth because his mentality, in in my opinion, in my opinion, his mentality has been, oh, I'm good enough as I am. I I, I don't need to shoot jumpers. I'm just going to play great defense and be a distributor. That ain't going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. I I disagree in the sense that he was like a truly terrible defender at LSU. And now he's probably one of the two or three best defenders on the face of the earth. And I I do think that's important. I don't think this is a a jump shot issue. I I think it's much more an aggressiveness issue. And him, he just needs to go to the basket and look for shots at the rim more. If he did that, even without a pull-up mid-range jumper or whatever, like he sh- like summer league is not the NBA. He he wouldn't get away with those shots in the NBA. Those aren't good shots. They they still aren't. But he just needs to look for his stuff at the rim. He has a mismatch more often than not, and he just doesn't take advantage of it. Obviously, this series is probably an anomaly. I I don't think he'll ever look this bad again. Mm. But <laughs> it's a tough. Don't hold your it's breath. A tough beat. I was at a game last year. This is when Horford was playing. Obviously, Richardson was still here. And the Sixers, were, they were losing in the fourth quarter. I can't even remember the, the opponent. But I stood up and I yelled, You're 6'10", Ben. Because he, even then, he plays like he's... I can't even say he plays like he's 5'10". Because Trey Young is 5'10", or 5'11", and he plays like he has the heart of a lion. That dude has no fear in his blood. They call him Ice Trey for a reason. But Simmons plays so small. I would be... The jury's out on this guy. Everyone watched national TV. You got Chuck and Shaq and Ernie and Kenny all taking shots at Ben. You can't hide his deficiencies now. I would be shocked if someone took a, a, a shot at him and traded him for value. I, I disagree with that. I, I think several teams should take a chance on him. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm Portland, I I trade CJ McCollum in a heartbeat. I mean, mm. I, I think Ben and Dame with shooters is probably a pretty deadly combo. Um Obviously, the deficiencies are, are bad, but I, I don't think he can be the one and only lead ball handler. I think that's really where he's going to run up to, against some problems here. I think the fit with Joel has been made especially tough in this series. Um, so, I, I mean, I really think he just needs like a fresh start, frankly. I think a trade would benefit him as much as it would possibly benefit the Sixers. I, I'm with you. Like This was unacceptably bad from him this series. He was just... A complete no-show in four straight fourth quarters. And and he needs to go. Like, it's time to trade him. It's, by all means, put him out on the market. But I, I do think some teams will take a chance. I think some teams should take a chance. He's still probably one of the 
30, 35 best guys in the league, if not better than that. So I, I, I don't think it's going to be a situation where no one's going to touch him. Um, yeah. Well, before we get too far ahead, let's wrap this game up. And you mentioned the turning point of the game in the eyes of Joel Embiid, but you saw the game. In your opinion, what do you think was the turning point of the game? Um, well, I definitely think that play that he pointed out was probably a big shift in momentum. We mentioned the thigh ball foul on Herter at the end there when the Hawks were only up one. The Sixers had, had some things going their way. And then all of a sudden they're up four. The game stops to let Herter shoot those free throws. And, and at that point I was like, okay, you know, it's over. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there are so many individual moments that you can yeah. point to, but just a really tough way to go out. So Kevin freaking Herter. I wish I could cuss right now. I would, I'd be dropping F-bombs left and right if I could. But Kevin Herter, nice player, great role player, good shooter. Kevin freaking Herter is the reason why we were eliminating this game. There's no reason why he should have been such a threat that Thibel f- had to feel like, all right, I have to really swipe at this three. And he did. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't jump on that. That yeah. was on Matisse. You you got to stay on the ground there. That that's just yeah. But but I, the point is, he was so hot throughout the game, he felt obligated to take that risk, and he took the risk, and it it costed them. It cost them tremendously because then you go down by four, right? You go down by four at that point. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to contest the shot, yeah. but I I think that's more just Thibel making a second year mistake. I mean, he's always been a bit of a gambler. That's probably yeah. been his one drawback defensively. So I I really don't think he could he could have gotten a good contest on that shot without jumping into him. Right. Um, right. I think that's just the brain fart. Yeah. But Kevin Herter's a really good player. Like he's been really good all series, minus I think like game four was maybe that he kind of or game three, but. He's a, he's a really good player. Um, like again, credit to the Hawks. The Sixers definitely shot themselves in the foot. They should have won this series. The, the, the sh- Hawks Bucks should not be what we're watching on Wednesday. It's ridiculous that we're watching Atlanta and Milwaukee in the conference finals. I tell you the most embarrassing thing, other than the fact that on national TV we lost to the Hawks, a number five seed. we then Chris. We fought. This team fought tooth and nail to get the number one seed for the specific purpose of securing home court advantage because we've been the best home team for the past three years. And we lose to the Hawks? We lose to the Hawks. Yeah. It, it, it's, it is humiliating as, as a basketball fan. Uh, if I was in a Sixers fan, I'd be like, "Damn, really? Look, the Sixers lost the Hawks? <laughs> yeah, like after the Toronto series, you can make excuses like uh, it's Kawhi, right? After right. the Boston series, like oh, we're missing Ben, right? At this point, there's there's really no hiding from it. There's clearly <laughs> a deep rooted problem with this team. Like credit to the Hawks, they, they have spunk. They're clearly like they just. I don't want to say they don't deserve to be here. Like they're clearly a, a good, if not great team that they got a lot of confidence and they took advantage of the Sixers mistakes. A lot of younger teams probably would not have taken advantage of the Sixers mistakes. I think Atlanta deserves a lot of credit, but 
the Sixers got to look hard in the mirror because there's, there's just no excuse at this point. On a night when Trey Young went 5 for 23, we couldn't get the job done. I'm going to put some blame. I, I will say this. I think Trey played really well. Many other things well. Um, he did. Like, he like did, his impact as but... just a playmaker and a guy who draws attention. Like he can impact the game without shooting efficiently. Like five from twenty-three really sticks out on the stat sheet. But Trey Trey had himself a pretty good game. But my but my point is, in other games, he would still be getting assists and impacting the game in other areas. But in this game, we could not capitalize on a poor shooting night. And if it wasn't for Kevin Herter, hey, maybe we win this one. But the bottom line is Embiid is not exempt from yeah. this horrible play. It's funny, like my, I was, my brother-in-laws were watching the game, and I said, Embiid's going to turn it over. I said, Embiid's going to turn it over. And sure enough, he gets the ball at the top of the key, and I'm thinking, all right, why does he have it up there? It's not a solid play because he can be attacked from both sides. And when he does that spin, you know someone can come over and knock the ball away. That's exactly what happened. So in this game, he didn't. He had good numbers scoring-wise, but he turned the ball over eight times because he tries to do too much. And I'm thinking, Embiid, you are not a guard. You're a big man. Just be a big man. And if you get an open shot, take the open shot. But all the dribbling and stuff at the top of the key – Someone's got to get to him. And, and if Doc called that play, he is responsible for, for that that particular loss on that play. Yeah, I mean, Joe Joe had turnover problems all night. Again, like eight a game in the last two games. Pretty just tough way to go out. Trying um, too hard. Just trying too yeah. hard. He, exactly. I think that's it. I, I think it's a lack of trust in teammates at times and just trying to do too much. Um, he's at his best when he's reading the defense and taking what the defense gives him, if they're going to bring a hard double, you got to trust the shooters that are around you. Um, you know, you got Seth Curry, you got George Hill, eh, uh, you, you got guys out there who can make some shots. Tobias, you, you just got to, you know, take what the defense gives you. I, I think that play was really just a bit of a loose handle on his part. They didn't really even bring a hard double. He just kind of coughed it up himself. Um, yeah. But, yeah, um, I think beyond that, Doc deserves a whole boatload of criticism for this series. We're probably going to get into that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, the Sixers just got to get an, another dude next to Terrell. They don't have it. Tobias is not a number two scorer. I'm, that was the case last season. It's the case this season. He had a wonderful year. He's a really strong player, um, but he, he can't be your number two, um, especially when Ben is just taking a dump at midcourt like he has been the whole series so uh well, let, let's just before we're gonna do a you know stay or go see who which players deserve right. to stay uh which one deserve to go but let's just real quick the, the series itself um there were some good moments there was some solid play but the end outcome was nothing that we all expected or hoped for so let's just. What was your biggest frustration of the series against the Hawks? Well, I mean to like quote Matisse Thybulle, losing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, look, game one, Doc made all the wrong 
game plan choices. They bring up Danny Green on Trey Young in single, single coverage with Embiid dropping back out of pick and rolls. It's what the Knicks tried to do with an even better defender in the first round and Trey just tore him apart for five games. They did switch no him one, at halftime. They switched him they at halftime. They did switch him at halftime, but they were down 20 at that point. Well, they tried to come back but couldn't. So that's basically a, a game that they threw away for no good reason. And then they get up 2-1. They have an 18-point lead in game four. They blow that. They have a 26-point lead at home in game five in a series that's tied 2-2. And they blow that. I mean, it's just... That's like loser mentality. You can't do that stuff. That's terrible. It's unacceptable. There's no good reason. Ben is to blame. Tobias, Joel, the bench, it all, everyone had their part to play. Doc especially. But you, you can't crumble under the pressure like that. Credit to the Hawks, if anything, for like taking punches and punching back. Because when they punched back, the Sixers were KO'd. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, it's embarrassing. I, I'm going to disagree in the fact that unless you're Larry Brown or Thibodeau this year, who, who had a phenomenal year, coach is only as good as his players. And he inherited a team. And I know they had the best record in the East, but it was a COVID season. There was a lot of players who were out for various reasons, injuries, etc. Doc inherited a team that was untested. Simmons was unstable mentally. They've been in the playoffs for the past four years. Um, That's te- being tested, I think. That Toronto series was a, a test. Well, all right. Here's 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 what I'm here's what I mean. So Doc Rivers, he's going to get a lot of criticism, and I'm not saying he he coached the perfect series, but I do think he made adjustments, and I do think that he did some things properly, uh, for lack of a better word. Now with his decision making with the rotation, and I know that's that was a big thing for you. My question is, what else is he supposed to do? What else Not is he supposed to do? If if okay, well, let's say uh, Shake is not consistent, and and you know you're already down a player because Danny Green's out and Cork Maz is hit or miss. What is he supposed to do? Play starters all forty eight minutes? Great, yeah. Okay, so all right, so Maxi and and Howard and what Thibel? That was it. Those those three players off the bench. Howard and Shake should have been fired to the sun. There's Shake has been a dumpster fire the entire postseason. Dwight has too. There, there's no reason you don't go with Ben and Joel Staggered, do some small ball when it beats off the floor, try to push the pace and get Ben going in transition. Shake, that, that, Shake did save the series for them, right? They if it wasn't for him in game two. Yeah. Right? You like give him so props Doc for called, game two. Right. But as Doc soon as game it. three came around, he was bad. And he was bad in game four, and he was bad in game five. It was actively harmful every time he touched the floor. Just because it works once doesn't, doesn't mean it's going to work again. I mean, he's been, like, genuinely terrible on both sides of the ball pretty much the entire series outside of that one fourth quarter. Yeah. Wow. So I, I struggled to justify, like, closing the game with Shake Milton on the floor in game seven. I just don't think there's any excuse for that. Well, Maxi. Clearly didn't have it this game, and Simmons is is not going to be effective, and Hill was not going to be effective. So you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You play these players, and they don't and they don't work out. 
you don't play them, and then and then you know Simmons is a liability. So he was really just had his hands tied when his starting point guard is can't even shoot a free throw. So I, I think oh, look, he, he did the best he could with what he had. I agree. the The roster is clearly flawed, and changes need to be made. And this is not all on Doc. Again, the players did not play their part. But you, there's no excuse to go ten deep. You you can't do Tobias and four bench players multiple times in game seven that's just negligent there's at what no point though do you put it go. at what point do you put it on the players though he's not out there shooting three-pointers he's not out there setting screens he's well, not the out bucks there aren't out there playing finesses 10 minutes a night they're, they're like the bucks and nets are a great example they're two very good teams who basically played like six players in game seven. Oh yeah because that's what you have to do when yeah. the going gets tough and you're playing a, a team that is clearly on your level and the season's on the line, you got to cut the fat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there's yeah. no reason to try to see if Doc will work or Dwight will work. There's no reason to see if maybe Shape can give you something. You just got to go with your six or seven best players and live with it. Ben should have played more per- than 35 minutes tonight, probably. Seth, I know he got in foul trouble. He probably should have played more than 31 minutes. I, I know Ben's been a problem all year, and if they go out because Ben has a crappy 42 minutes instead of a crappy 35, then that's what it is. But you got to put your best foot forward. You you can't be messing around with 10, 11 bench guys in, in game seven. It's just not, not going to work. It's unacceptable. Well, if you're talking about roster moves and not having the right pieces, now it's time for us to put on our general manager hats. Before we get into this, we're going to do a little stay or go. I have to tell you something I didn't share with you. I'm in the parking lot after game five. My buddy and I were like, man, we're not sitting in this traffic. So we just sat in the parking lot. We put on sports talk radio and we just hung out. The It's starting to empty out. There's very few cars around. And then I see this figure walking across the parking lot, tall individual wearing a suit. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, I know that walk. Like you, you watch enough basketball, you see guys walk and, and he's tall. I'm thinking... Who's in the parking lot wearing a suit? And he was, I think he was on a cell phone. Elton Brand was in the parking lot after game five, just roaming. Now he could have been on the phone talking to someone, you know, trying to meet up with someone. Maybe he had family in town, but I saw Elton Brand in the parking lot after the game. Uh, we lost, we lost 26 point lead. And I yelled out to him, of course, I was like, EB. <laughs> he totally ignored me, of course. But, but yeah, he, even he was, he was uh, frustrated. He maybe had to get some air. Yeah. Um, really remarkable that they signed him to an extension after last season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty, they did. Pretty neat. <laughs> EB. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some uh, stair go. Let's go up the roster. I'll start with the bench players. Uh, Rajon Tucker, what do you think? You know, I mean, if he's the 15th guy on the roster or it's another two-way, I'm, I'm fine with that. We really haven't seen enough of him to have a concrete opinion. Like, he's been really good in the G League, played some games with Utah last season. Like, I think there's something there. So I'd be fine with him coming back, but I'm not sure if he will be just because two ways are so unpredictable. I think that's Lucas's guy with pregame warm-ups with doing dunks. and he, He's definitely a very good athlete in terms of mm-hmm. his – production or his skill i i don't have enough on him to to really have an opinion but the next guy i think i know how you feel about him paul reed b-ball paul what do you think stay or go 
MVP Pori. <laughs> of the G League. Yeah, I would say give him another shot. Second round pick. Didn't get many minutes, but he uh he's he's better than Dwight Howard. Yeah, you stole you stole that right out, out of my mouth. He's better right now at this very second. <laughs> yeah. But Anthony Tolliver. Uh he's probably retiring, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's probably signing the papers right now of retirement. I don't think he's really doing anything, so I'd say go. Yeah, I kind of felt like he was a waste of a of a roster spot. He didn't really do yeah. much. I mean, frankly, I was like advocating for signing Gary Clark to that spot, and then they signed him to a two way. So uh, I guess I kind of got what I wanted, but yeah, not really much of anything from him. Do you think Bradley, had we kept Bradley as the backup center, do you think that would have made a difference in the series? No, because I don't trust Doc to not play Dwight. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, Mike Scott, I think we know the answer. Adios, amigo. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wonderful guy. I'll I'll drive him to the airport. I'll take the flight to Philly just so I can drive him to the airport, hang out with him. Seems like a great dude, but... Yeah, the beehive beehive is officially closed. Uh, He, (laughs) other than... Other than that three-pointer he hit against Brooklyn a couple years ago in the playoffs, I really don't see what he's brought to this team. He's definitely not in the rotation, at least in this series or even the last series. So he he's out of here. I don't know if he's going to be on another team or if he's going to retire, but I agree. Scott's, Scott's got to go. How about George Hill, Chris? Hot take. I, stay. <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to do, stay. right? You pick up his – contract you have a pretty sizable one-year deal that you can use in a trade Mm -hmm. um if you don't trade him i still think he's a pretty decent backup who's going to be better with like an offseason to get accustomed to the team and the system um he played really good defense in this series Mm -hmm. i obviously the offense wasn't there but he's a good defender and he has enough pedigree to where i i think you keep him around and uh see what he does next season yeah, uh, I'll defer to you on that one. I think I, I'm on the fence with Hill, but let's move on to some other key players who have really in the regular season had moments of really good, solid contribution, but for whatever reason in the playoffs, they didn't really step up to the plate. How about Shake Milton? Stay or go? Well, he's on a really team-friendly contract, so unless another team views him as an asset in a trade, I think you keep him around and see if he can refine some rhythm next year. Yeah, I think Milton, and I think this is what, this was his third season? Mm-hmm. He's, the, he's that player that the Sixers, if they let him go for nothing, he'll become a star, or maybe not a star, but he'll blossom in another on another team. So I would keep him give him another opportunity to solidify his role and just improve. I think he's a solid player. A lot of people lost faith in Shake. I haven't. He had a bad series, but he did save us in game two. So that shows that he definitely still has something to, to offer. How about, uh, this is easy, Thibel. He's got a, he's he's one of the untouchables for me. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, keep him. I don't know if he's untouchable, but unless there's, a really good player coming back in return, you, you keep him around. Thibel will be a defensive player of the year at some point, And he is a jump shot away from being 
I don't want to say Scottie Pippen because Pippen did so much more with the basketball, but let's say like a Bruce Bowen type player, a guy that can knock down the three, but really impact the other side of the ball with tremendous, tremendous impact as far as steals and blocks and deflection. So we, we I think he's untouchable. What about Maxi? Keith, again, like not untouchable. If there's a, a star player on the table, you can part with him, but He's pretty clearly a great young player who should be part of the future here. Definitely. I think Maxie has a, has a lot of room for growth, but his attitude, his coachability, his pedigree, being a guard out of Kentucky, and we've talked plenty of times in the past about guards who have come out of that program. I, I think I would love to keep him. But between him and Thibault, I would keep Thibault over him. And if you have to package Maxi to dump another guard on this team, I would do it. But we'll get to him in a second. Dwight Howard. I, so many people loved what he brought to the team. But after this series, what do you think? Do we keep him or do we let him walk? You can keep him if he's like the third string center. But he he shouldn't be part of the rotation, especially not in the playoffs. Again, like, you can get away with it in the regular season. He had his moments, but he's not a playoff piece. So if they're looking to fill that center spot with a guy you can put in the rotation in the playoffs, then they need to find someone else. All right. Danny Green. Injured, but great 3 and D guy. Shot a really good percentage in the regular season. What do you think? Um, obviously, you know, you have to see what, comes up in free agency and what happens in the trade market. But if you can resign him for a reasonable price, I'd even do like one year, 15 or two years, 15 million per year, I think is what you have to do to, uh, I, I don't quite know the specifics of his contract situation, but I'd, I'd keep him if, if you can. Yeah. I think he's making what? 12 million this year. I think Something it's 15 or 16. 15. Yeah. That's eating up a lot of, money with our cap i i don't know he's getting long in the tooth yeah he, i mean he's streaky streaky shooter eh, I don't yeah know. you have to see I what happens but like the sixers aren't going to have cap space either way so if you have to sign him to, to like two years 30 million at least you have like a contract you can trade because that space is gonna disappear maybe if you don't use it so it just has it depends on what happens basically now what do you think about furcon um, I mean, it depends on how much he costs, right? I don't know if I'd use, like, the mid-level on him. I frankly don't know if he's good enough. Um, I might just let another team bite the bullet on that. But if it's for two or three million a year again, I'm fine with bringing him back. I would I would trade Korkmaz. I think he's hit his ceiling. Oh, he's a free agent. Oh, he is? Re- yeah. Restricted? Restricted? No. He's, no. He's oh, he's unrestricted. unrestricted. Oh. Well... Hey, best of luck to you, Cork Maz. <laughs> you came here, you tried to prove your worth, and you had some some nice moments. You had some big shots, but he turned out to be a, an okay defender. But he did not have the best of series. And I, I think if the Sixers are going to make a deep run next season, they they need someone more dependable. Uh, Seth Cur- Seth Curry, he really was our savior. And he, he, we really got a steal out of that trade with Dallas. I have no idea why they gave him up. But what do you think about Curry's situation? Yeah, keep him. 
it was just a remarkable value contract. So keep him around. Yeah. Yeah. Plus he'll, he'll be one of the reasons why his brother comes to Philly and leaves Golden State. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You heard it here first. I said it. I'm sticking with it. Uh, Tobias Harris, huge contract, good guy, good, you know, locker room guy. But do you, do you think the Sixers should try to shop him around this summer or do you want to keep him? I mean, yeah, if someone wants to take him, you listen. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen. So I think you kind of have to keep him because there's nowhere else to go. Uh, he was good this year. Like, he, I don't know if I buy that he should have been an all-star thing. There were a lot of worthy players in the East, but he was almost 50-40-90, averaging 20 a game. Like, he, he's Clearly a good player, so yeah. it, it's not the worst thing in the world. I, I like Tobias. He had a, a steady postseason tonight. He did not shoot that well, but he did have 14 rebounds, and he did have uh, four assists, two steals, 24 points. I, I like Harris. He's he's one of my uh, favorite players because just because he can do so much, he can score at different levels. I would love for him to draw more fouls. That's probably a big weakness in his game. He doesn't get to the foul line as much. But let's get to um, the player that a lot of Philly fans have a right to be ticked off at. Ben Simmons. What do we do with Ben Simmons? Gone. Um, <laughs> again, he's really, he's a good player. Like, I, I don't want to just hammer him all podcast. I, I do. I, I, I still feel bad for him. I, I think he's just had a rough series, but he's got to go at this point. I don't think you can, I don't think Philly fans will like accept him being back another year. It's, it's just the end of the line has come. We, we've reached the, the point of no return. So something's got to change and it's probably been. <laughs> <laughs> there is a snowball's chance in hell that Simmons returns. It's just not going to happen. They tried to shop him before the trade deadline. Houston wanted no parts of the deal. Uh, maybe the Sixers didn't want to give up Maxie and Thibel, and, and I understand why. However, <laughs> in me and you, we were in agreement with this, and that's rare because you and I, we, we, we go different ways with a lot of opinions, but we both said it's James Harden. Don't overthink it. And he would have been a really great pairing with Embiid. Didn't happen. But Simmons, you, you feel bad for him? I don't. Because here's a guy in college, LSU, full scholarship, and he decides to create a documentary about how it's a waste of his time to play at an amateur level. Meanwhile, that could have been time for him well. to develop other aspects of his game. I, I I think there's probably a pretty like like the morals of college basketball as a system. I, I think there's plenty we could argue about there. Um, but what makes him what what makes him that dude to come out? Well, and he's say that? the number one pick. He's the five star recruit, the number one pick, the peak of his draft class. I think he's probably a pretty good spokesperson for that specific issue i don't think that's like overstepping any boundaries or like an ego thing no, i think that's like an no. actual moral i completely i I, I completely disagree here's a guy who's probably been entitled his whole life his dad grew up played pro ball he was always the tallest kid on the aau team 
And he just felt like he was always the best player. And here's a guy, right, who when they were talking about, oh, defensive player of the year. Oh, I feel like I'm the defensive player of the year. I, I feel like I should well, be. And then he you, turns around, Chris, and then he says. Him being defensive player of the year. No, but, but I I'm, think I'm, 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 my, point, my point is his ego, Chris. He's he's so phony. He Every says, oh, I should be defensive player of the year. But then he turns around and says, I'm not worried about that anymore. I just want to win a championship. Come Every on, player man. says that stuff. That's just how you, people talk to the media. I don't think that's an ego thing. I mean, I think you want I him think, to have I think he has, in his defense. I think Ben has the biggest ego in, in the NBA, and he is not as good as he thinks he is. And this series proves Well, that. like we all talked crap about Donovan Mitchell with his like rookie of the year campaign, calling Ben not a rookie and bringing out the hoodies and stuff. Like, you could argue that that was stupid and ego, and he's – Probably one of the 20 best players in the league now. So I, I don't think that's really a problem. I, I think a guy like should be confident in himself. Like Joel said, he thought he was MVP. I don't think anyone has a problem with that, you know. Well, Joel has put the time in, and he's improved. Well, Ben has definitely put the time in on defense. Like, Ben plays his butt Come off. On, I don't think... Defense is all effort. Defense is like, yeah. yeah, defense is effort, and Ben puts in a lot of effort. I, I think he deserves credit in that respect. Yeah, but if you need a point guard like a Trey Young or a CP3 or a, you know a player who can impact the game in, in more than just one facet, then then that that's what you're yeah, shooting for. But... Not a one-dimensional, one-trick pony who is as predictable as the sun going up and coming down every yeah. day. Yeah, well, none of that has anything to do with him saying he thinks he should win Defensive Player of the Year. Is what I'm saying. Like clearly, he has problems, but. <laughs> I don't well, have an issue with him saying he should be defensive player of the year. Well, hopefully in the offseason he won't be our problem anymore. I think it's it's Bon Voyage, Ben. Um, good luck playing for, I don't know, Sacramento or Minnesota, wherever whatever we can get in return for him, I'm I'm all for it. Even if it's draft picks and a bad contract, expiring contract. I, I want all, I want Simmons off this team. He's not good for the uh, the athletic dropped Kimba Walker and draft picks sent him to OKC. Hey, I'd, I'd take Kemba for, for Ben. Why mm-hmm. not? <laughs> Why not? You have Maxi who could be the playmaker. Whatever you yeah. lose on defense from Ben, you get in Matisse. So we, we yeah, got I that mean, covered. OKC definitely has the draft picks. So Yeah. We'll see. And Embiid, he's got to stay. <laughs> yes. He is no-brainer MVP candidate unless you, just, mm-hmm. unless you see something else. Yeah, no. Keep him... As long as you can, forever if you can. <laughs> yeah, I feel so bad for him because I truly believe that though him having a kid kind of motivated him to try and get his mental focus where it should be. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out the way he wanted in the past couple of games with the Hawks. But I feel bad for him being. I thought that this could have been the year for us, and it just didn't turn out that way. Yeah, I mean, again, it feels like the Sixers are just failing him at this point. Um, he's not without blame. Again, he yeah had his down moments at the end of the series, but Joel is not why they lost. Joel left everything out on the court with a torn meniscus. And yeah, yeah. His teammates just didn't pick up any of the slack. So they got to do better. They got to give him give him more of a chance because he he deserves it. He's done everything in his power this season. He was. Top two in MVP voting. You, you just got to do better to build around him. Yeah. 
last question before we go. Do you think that Embiid goes to management, Daryl Morey or Elton Brand, do you think he goes to them and says, hey, me and Ben, it's it's not going to work? Do you think he, he draws that line in the sand privately? Or do you think he lets them handle theirs on their own? Well, uh, here's here's an interesting quote that just popped up on Twitter. Um, Joel Embiid, on whether he'd like to see the Sixers run it back next year, quote, that's a tricky question. So <laughs> seems like there's some gray area there. Um, I don't know if he just goes to Maury and is like trade bin, but I <laughs> Given that, and given the other quote we mentioned earlier about the turning point, I, I think there's reason to believe that that's possible, that we might get to that point. Um, if he won't do it, the entire fan base will tweet Daryl to death and oh, yeah. try to do it themselves. <laughs> oh, yeah. So maybe even like ownership steps in at this point is like, hey, guys, uh, we got to do something different. Yeah. But Please, Daryl Morey, save this fan base, save this city from experiencing insanity for another year. It is not going to work. Do not waste the prime years of Embiid with a point guard that cannot shoot, that refuses to shoot. Please do something. Otherwise, Chris... (laughs) We'll be here next year with the same same song and dance for the podcast. Hopefully it's it's not. Yeah, I mean look, if they run it back with all the same core pieces, I don't think anyone's gonna believe they're a contender next year. They could get the one seat again and everyone would be like, Oh, they're gonna lose in the second round. So they, they gotta change something. They can't really trade the Tobias contract. They don't have a lot of other valuable assets outside of Matisse and Maxi, and you would need to put money with them. Yeah. to get something. So, I mean, I think the one obvious move after probably one of the most egregious collapses in recent NBA playoff history is to trade Ben. I mean, there's really no way around it at this point. Daryl Morey may try to talk around it to the media and stuff, but he tried to trade Ben for Harden. He's clearly not as beholden to Simmons as other fans were earlier in the season who were saying don't trade him for James Harden who's a top three player in the NBA um so yeah I think he's as close to gone as he'll get if not just out the door already well I think that's it Chris they were gonna head on out now yeah to all our listeners thanks for following along this season um we just appreciate it from the bottom of our heart we've really enjoyed building the podcast out and just it's been a really great season i i don't think we should let this one series overshadow all the fun times we've had this year um we'll still be back doing podcasts every week during the off season we very clearly have plenty to talk about so stay tuned for that wherever you're listening on spotify apple music google play etc leave a review let us know how we're doing drop a rating it would really help us out and you know check out the site for some i'm I'm sure very intense commentary on the team in the next few days and tune in next week for our, our next episode so thanks everyone
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 